Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Fresh Encounter, the radio ministry of Lifelong Anointing Church. Our mission as a church is to equip the body of Christ to increase in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. We're glad that you joined us for this edition of the broadcast. It is our prayer that this broadcast will be a blessing to you. Here now is Pastor Otuno with today's message. How do you mount an effective defense of your faith? When you are faced with a violent opposition, or when you are filled with an adamant opponent, or when you are faced with people who are determined to knock you out. In Acts 21, if you start reading from verse number 15, the Bible makes us to understand that Paul finally got to Jerusalem. After he has been told not to go, eventually he got there. And the Bible said that when he got there, he was welcomed by the brethren in Jerusalem. Everybody was happy that this guy Paul finally showed up. In verse number 18, the Bible told us that Paul went to see James and the elders of the church. And at that particular time, he gave them a report of all that he has been doing. How he has been traveling, how he has been ministering in the in the midst of the Gentile churches and the results that they have been getting. And when he told them that they were happy and they glorified God, that God was working through him. By the time you get to verse number 21, the Bible tells us that the elders now had to confront Paul with the allegations that were coming. And the allegations was that the Jews that were coming were saying that Paul was saying that they should no longer follow the laws of the God. They should no longer obey the Jewish law. That they, you know, that the Jews, they should no longer, they should not begin to live like Gentiles. And the Bible makes us to understand that because the elders in Jerusalem at that time, they did not want to raise unnecessary trouble. They now created, they now did what is called more like a, a, a damage control. And they told Paul, they said, Paul, we want you to show up in the, in the we want you to show up in the in the temple and demonstrate that you are actually in support of the of the laws of Moses, that you are actually subject to the things of the, the laws of Moses. And Paul was, Paul, you know, Paul was not, uh, was not in opposition to that. So he, to publicly show peace, uh, publicly showing that he was in support of the laws of Moses, he went in there and he subjected himself to days of purification. Seven days of purification. He went to the temple to do that. But the Bible makes us to understand that while Paul was trying to make sure that he demonstrated that he was in support of the, of the, uh, of the, of the, of the temple laws, there were some people who were still not happy with Paul. The Bible tells us in verse number 26 that the Bible, that Paul went into the temple, went through the purification process but by the time you get to verse number 27 the Bible says that when, when seven days were almost completed Paul was in the temple, seven days when, before the, the, the seven days ended the Bible says that there were Jews from Asia seeing him in the temple they stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him and cried out men of Israel, help, help this is the man who teach all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he has also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. In other words, they were not going to take the, 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 the show of peace. They were not having all this, uh, all this uh, peace, uh, peace uh, arrangement that the elders were making. They were not having it. They wanted to create trouble and they stirred up problem. By the time we get to verse number 30, the Bible says, and all the city was disturbed. In other words, when they started this commotion, there was a lot of trouble in the city. And the people ran together. They seized Paul while he was in the temple. While he was still going through that purification exercise. They seized, temple, they seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple. Basically, they wanted to kill the guy. 
and they were really ready to kill the guy, it took the intervention of the commander of the garrison at Jerusalem to deliver Paul from the hands of the mob. Because the guy swooped in, arrested Paul, chained him, and was taking him to the barracks. Okay? The commander arrested Paul, taking him away, he was putting him in the barracks, and I know, and as they were going, Paul the apostle, being Paul the apostle, now said, okay, you guys have had your way, you've arrested me. Now let me have my own say. The guy now said, can I talk to these people? And the guy gave him an opportunity. So let's pick up the story from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 22, reading from verse number 1. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense from me before you now. That is Paul the Apostle now speaking to the people who were trying to kill him with chains in his hands. And the guards were surrounding him. The Bible says he now began to speak to them. Verse number 1. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silence. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our fathers, of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you, as you all are today. I persuaded this way, I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering unto prison both men and women, and as also the high priest bears witness, bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened. As I journeyed, I came near to Damascus. As by, at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you persecute. And these, and those who were with me, indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. In other words, from this verse of the scripture, if you keep reading, Paul kept on giving his testimony. But one of the things I want to point out from us, for, for us to understand is that number one from this verse of the scripture is that Paul mounted a defense for his faith in the face of a violent opposition. That's what you see in verse number one. He told them particularly, you have arrested me. You have put chain in my neck, but I have a right to say something about my faith. So in verse number one, Paul mounted a defense of his faith. No, of his faith in the face of a violent opposition. In verse number three, Paul was giving the mob a brief history of of his own background, his foundation, and the very law. You know, in the very law that they were accusing him of violating, he was telling them this same thing that you are saying that I'm doing. I used to be the chief. I used to fight. You know, I used to I used to fight for this thing. I used to defend it. I am somebody who is trained in this law. I understand this law better than many of you do. So he was giving them a brief history of his own foundation. No, in verse number four, the Bible tells us that Paul talked about the passion with which he persecuted the church. The passion with which he took the people who were, uh, who were confessing Christ and bringing them to Jerusalem under the authority and the approval of the Jewish leadership. By the time you get to verse number 6 to 12, the Bible tells us that Paul told the crowd about his encounter with the resurrected Christ. Uh, his blindness that was resulting from the brightness uh, of his encounter with the Christ and how he entered into, into Damascus being, a, being led by the hand. Uh, and by the time you get to verse number 13, Paul tells of his healing, his calling, and his baptism. And then from verse number 17 to verse number 21, the Bible talks about the fact that Paul was telling them how he himself got to Jerusalem how the spirit of the almighty God told him get out of Jerusalem because you are about to be killed 
And the Bible tells us by the time you get to verse number 22, that's when these people will no longer hear it anymore. Because they enjoyed the initial story. But when he now pointed to the fact that they were the one who wanted to kill him, they just went ballistic. But that's a story for another day. Now this verse of scripture show us that Paul was passionate about his own defense. He was telling us that Paul was not going to go away quiet. That the, you know, that the pray, that the, that the faith that was inside of him, the faith that the mob wanted to kill him for, Paul was willing to tell them about that particular faith. Now in these verses are very, very instructive for us who are Christians today. These verses are very, very instructive for us who are Christians today because number one, it tells us that the defi- a passionate defense is required when you are, when your faith is being challenged. When you are facing an opposition, there is a re- there's a need for you to be able to tell the people why you believe what you believe. If you are going through a difficult situation, if people are beginning to mock or they are beginning to, or they, or they are attempting to silence you, there is a need for you. A passionate defense is required when you are facing defi- when you are facing opposition, when you are facing a very, you know, a violent opposition. Now the world will prefer that Christians should keep their mouth shut and do nothing when they are being persecuted. They will prefer that we do not argue or just stay silent. The world will prefer that we'll keep our heads down and just be good Christian. Just be the lamb that they can slap up and down. They will even tell you the verse of the scripture that Jesus said when they slap you on the right, you should turn the left. Because it works to their own advantage. The world will want you to be quiet. But Paul is saying, that you have a right to speak up for your faith. Paul is saying that you have a right to tell your own story. Paul is saying that you have a right to share your own testimony. Paul is saying that when the world is saying that you should keep your mouth quiet and allow yourself to be persecuted, Paul is saying speak up for that particular thing, the faith that dwells inside of you. Paul is saying your defense provides a point of resistance to those who are trying to silence the gospel. When you tell them, this is what I believe, and this is why I believe it. So that is why, number one, the testimony of Paul is very, very instructive. Number two, the testimony of Paul is very, very instructive because the story of your life provides a context for your defense. The story of your life provides a context for your defense. What does that mean? It means that you will notice that Paul was giving the crowd, was giving the mob an overview of his life. He was telling that he was a Pharisee, that he trained in the best school, that he was sitting under the master of this particular Pharisee idea, which was Gamaliel. He was telling them that he was very zealous for his way. He over, you know, this overview let the people know that this was how he was before. This was who he was. He was not one ignorant person. He was not somebody who was a lunatic. He was a man who was well informed in the Jewish tradition. He tells them that the journey of Paul the Apostle, the, the story of Paul told them the progression that Paul the Apostle have had in the course of transitioning from being a Jew to being a Christian. It tells them that he had a common challenge with them. He had a common passion with them. He had a common struggle with them. He had a common experience with them. It also tells them that he was just like them. And when you are facing your own challenges, when you are facing your own persecution, when people are asking you about your faith and you tell your story, this was the way I used to live. These are the things that I used to do. These are the things that I used to, you know, enjoy. You begin to ask, identify yourself with them, letting them know that there is really no difference between the two of us. I am not some special breed of human being. 
I'm not this superhuman being because I'm a Christian. I am just one of you. The only difference is that now I have encountered the grace of the Almighty God. Now I am seeing God. You know, God has shed his light upon my heart. And the same way, your story provides a point of intercession with those who are persecuting you. It reminds them that you are, that you have a shared experience, a common challenge, that you are just like one of them. Because when you are telling people to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, most of them don't know your story. They don't know where you have been. They don't know the things that you have done in the past. And as a result, they think that they, are, they think that they cannot relate with you. But when you tell your story, when you tell them the things that, that, you are, that you also have struggled with, it gives them an opportunity to realize that whatever is going on in their life is not unique to them. It's also possible in the life of a believer. And if you are able to overcome it, they too can overcome it. That's why your story is important. Number three, Paul's defense is instructive because your turning point provides hope for the sincere seeker. In other words, if you are able to live the way you have lived in the past, if you have had your challenges in the past, if you have had your own difficulty with the truth in the past, if you have had struggles with addiction or struggle with whatever, and you are able to overcome it as a result of your encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are giving them a hope that if they too seek the Lord, they have that particular hope in front of them. Paul's background and history of his past. Many of them could see that he was a violent man. Many of them could see that he persecuted with ch- the church with passion. Many of them could see that he was determined to single-handedly wipe out the church. But from his own accounts of his encounter with the resurrected Christ, many of them could see that today he was a different person. Many of them know that whatever the hunger, whatever the, uh, the, the hatred that consumed them, the power of God was possible to deliver them because he delivered Paul. So when you tell your story and they see your life, they can see the hope that lies inside of you. The power of God to turn them around, to put them in a new path. They can see that particular power. They can see that there is no situation that is hopeless. And as a result, they have a hope of a better life tomorrow. Paul encounter with the risen Christ provide a point of intervention in the lives of those who are open to the saving grace. When you tell the story, when people see you, and you are able to tell them what you, how you used to live and how you are now living. They can tell the difference. And because they can tell the difference, it provides hope for them. Because they know that their situation is not hopeless. Number four, Paul's testimony is instructive because your renewed life provides an example of what is possible. Because you see somebody who has lived a life that is not to the glory of the Almighty God. He has lived a life of sin. He has lived a life of of perversion. He has lived a life that is, you know, that is completely abhorrent to everything that is, uh, that is holy. And that person is able to find a transformation. The healing power of the Almighty God is able to come. The delivery power is able to set that particular individual free. When you are able to tell that story and others are able to hear about it, it gives them that renewed life that you are now living. It gives them a hope of what is possible. It gives them an example of what God can do. In the life of another, in the life of an individual. In other words, Paul's renewed life told the mob of what is possible when you are able to encounter Christ. When you are able to tell somebody, say, "You see my life. This is what I used to be. Now this is how I live." When they look at your life and they look at, they say, "Okay, this is what is possible if you can surrender your life to the Almighty God." It tells the mob that regardless of what they are facing, life can be different when you allow Jesus Christ to come into that particular life. It tells them all that life can be better. It tells them all and everybody around that you can turn your life around. In other words, Paul's renewed life and the renewed life of every believer who is willing to give a testimony points is a point of encouragement to all those 
who are willing to welcome Jesus into their lives. And then finally, number five. Paul's testimony is instructive and very important for us that because though we are, though we are encouraged to give a defense, opposition to your faith will still come. Paul the apostle gave a very passionate defense of why he believed what he believed. He told them his own story. He told them his encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. They could see the transformation that has taken place. He's no longer killing Christians. He's actually now promoting Christianity. They could see all that, but that did not stop them from wanting to lynch the guy. So the fact that you give your testimony does not mean that opposition will disappear. That's what the Bible is trying to make us to understand. The fact that you are te- the fact that yes, you have been able to give a passionate defense, you have been able to tell them, and the people can see the difference in your life, uh, what your life used to be and what your life is right now. The fact that they can still see does not mean that they are not going to oppose you. It doesn't mean that. The fact that right now you are no longer a night crawler. You are no longer the one that takes your money and wastes it on whatever you wasted it on before. The fact that you are now living a life in the straight and narrow does not mean everybody's going to like you. It does not mean that everybody's going to line up to say they are going to come to church with you. No. Some people will look at you, what's wrong with them? They think they are better than me. Even now that you are living a life that you are making, the, that is making an impact in their life, they will still not be happy. The point we are making is that the testimony of Paul is instructive because it tells us that though you can give a defense, your, your, the opposition to our faith will still come. And you will notice that the, Paul, the mob was a little bit silent when they were hearing about the story of Paul. They enjoyed the story. But when the story got to the point of conviction, they went mad. They went ballistic and they wanted to destroy this guy. Why is the question? Why would they, why would a testimony of somebody not change the heart of man? If you look at the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, reading from verse number 12, the Bible says that ye, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. And that is why you see that somebody who messes, you will notice, that the world always celebrate the bad boys. The guys that will always do something terrible. They live, they, they live, they live opposed to the law. Those are the people that we celebrate. Those are the people that the media will hold up to you as an example. But the guys who live a life of, a life of purity, a life of holiness, those are the people that we will knock down as if they are the danger and the menace to the society. I don't want to begin to name names, but if you look at the sports environment, you will see that the person who plays and gives glory to God is the one that is mocked. The one that who tells you that you, you can use all the splitting that you can imagine. Those are the ones that are celebrated. The point you are making is that anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. That is why First Peter chapter 3, the Bible tells us there, it says, For sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you? In other words, you are going to live a life that is glorified to the Almighty God. Everything is, you know, your, 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 your faith will make you, will make you, you know, to be happy when people are, when people are saying all sorts of things against you. He said, be ready to tell the whole world why you have this hope, why you have this joy, why you have this kind of a positive attitude towards life. Even when the whole world is persecuting you, he said, be ready to give that defense because the world is watching you. And they are going to see, okay, why are these people like this? Why are these people not angry when we are telling them to be angry? Why are they not re- why are they not retaliating when we are persecuting them? Why are they not saying evil words when we are actively working against them? He said, be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. I say, when you are doing it, say, do it with meekness and with fear. In other words, Paul, Peter is saying, because persecution will come, 
That you should not, you know, that does not mean that you should stop defending your faith. Peter is saying, because persecution will come, that is the more reason believers must learn how to defend their faiths. I tell people when they say there's a separation of church and state, it doesn't mean that when you get to work, you cannot talk about Christ. It just means that you have to learn the law, how to do it. You don't carry your Bible and knock people on the head while you are supposed to be doing your work. You are using your Bible to say you are preaching. That is not how the work, that's not how it should be done. You must understand how these things work. But you say you should learn how you'll be ready to give a defense. I tell people I don't go about knocking people on the head and telling them about Christ. But if you open the door, I will walk through it. If you give me the opportunity, I'll talk about it. But I'm not going to go about trying to, you know, trying to convert people by force. And that is why Christians get into trouble. The point you are making is that Paul is saying persecution will come. Because persecution will come, that is the more reason why you should learn how to defend your faith. We must learn how to tell others, not only what we believe, but why we believe what we believe. In other words, Peter is saying, you cannot defend your faith if you do not know what you believe and why you believe it. You can't defend it. You can't tell others the beauty of the word of God, the beauty of Christ, the beauty of the saving grace. You cannot tell them if you don't even know what that particular beauty is in the first place. If your faith is only based on what a pastor tells you or what you see on TV or what you hear on TBN, if that is what your faith is based on, you are going to be sadly disappointed. If your faith is based on what other people are saying, if your faith is not grounded in a personal encounter with the resurrected Christ, if your faith is not rooted in the conviction that Jesus is Lord, you will have a hard time defending that faith when it is challenged. Very difficult time challenging it. Why do I say that? Look at the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you start reading from verse number 1, the Bible tells us, He said, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. He said, men will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, boasters, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, he said, from such, turn away. Now, if you go to verse number 12 of that same chapter, Paul the Apostle now said, he said, all who desire to live godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. In other words, the environment where we find ourselves is not an environment that is conducive to the word of God. The environment where we find ourselves in the last day is an environment where people don't want to hear the truth of the word of God. Where people are not interested in the things of God. Living a Christian life is going not to, is going to be increasingly difficult. That's what Paul the Apostle is saying. And all you have to do is just open and look, look at the news or look at whatever publication is out there that you, your favorite news for. And you can see that the prophecy of Paul in the book of, uh, in the book of, uh, in First Timothy is already even fulfilled. There are lovers of, uh, people are lovers of themselves. People are lovers of money. Nobody is interested in the things of God. Even in the church, there are people who are claiming godliness, but the power for holiness, the power for righteousness, the power for godly living is not there. So what we are saying in essence is that the prophecy of Paul is already in fulfillment. So living the Christian life is going to be increasingly difficult. The question now is, how do you mount a compelling defense for your face when your faith is being challenged? How are you able to stand firm when the whole world is going upside down? When everybody is telling you to, de- to, to begin to adjust what you, how you believe. When the whole world is telling you to think in a different way. When the whole world is trying to tell you that you are the, go- you are the one that is crazy and they are the one that is good. I mean, how do you mount a compelling de- defense in a world that is increasingly opposed to the word of God? The first thing is this. If you are going, your defense Effective defense of your faith, number one, starts with an encounter with the resurrected Christ. That is where everything starts from. 
The Bible tells us in the book of First Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 5, reading from verse number 17, it says, If anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In other words, you cannot defend what you do not have. If you do not have Christ inside of you, you cannot defend him. Challenges are going to come to your faith in your house, among your children, among your family, among your friends, in the place of work, in the community where you find yourself. As long as you identify with Christ, there was going to be challenge. There are people who are close to you who will call your faith in Christ to question. The question now is, how do you defend it? How do you take... How do you stand firm when all those particular assaults is coming on your way in different ways? The first one is that you have to have an encounter with the resurrected Christ. Because unless you have an encounter with him, you have not started the journey. You cannot defend what you don't have. Number two, you have to have a conviction in the truth that you know. In other words, you have to be persuaded that the truth that you know is the truth that is supposed to be known. Because if you are not convinced... If you do not believe the word that you are hearing, you do not believe the Bible that you are carrying, you do not believe the prayer that you are praying, I tell you, anybody can come and just talk you out of it. You cannot sell what you do not believe in. You cannot defend what you are not sure of. That is why you have to be sure. That's why you have to be convinced. It's one thing for you to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. another thing for you to truly be convinced that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That nobody comes to the Father except through him. There are so many preachers today who are telling you that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but every word that comes out of their mouth is, a con is contrary to the same faith that they claim to be preaching. When people are telling you that there are many other ways and they claim to be a minister of the gospel and the gospel tells you that there is no other way whereby we will be saved except by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what are you doing? You are undermining the same faith that you claim to be preaching. You are undermining the same faith that you claim to be representing. The same Christ that you say that you are an ambassador for. You are the same person taking that knife and stabbing that Christ on the back. So for you to truly defend that particular faith, you have to be convinced. Number three, there has to be an evidence of a transformed life. Evidence of a transformed life. In other words, you cannot say that you believe in him and you are living a life that is contrary to his word, contrary to all the all the things that he has described, all the way that he says you should live. There is no way that you can say that you believe in him if your life does not reflect him. The Bible tells in the book of Matthew chapter 5, reading from verse number 16, it says, let your light so shine before men. That when they see you, that they may see you, and uh, that, that they may see your good work and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, the life that you live must be able to agree with the confession that you are making. Your lifestyle must be must align with the word of God that you claim to believe. Because if you live a contrary life, that's why the whole world, their biggest point against the church is that oh, all those people are a bunch of hypocrites. And most of the time they are true. Because many of us are very good at being very, very hypocritical. The church is very good at telling you that we don't want to do this. But meanwhile, we enjoy doing it in our own private time. The only thing is that we just don't want to do it. Yeah, we, we have, it's like the church has a two category of sin. There are some sin that thou shalt not be caught with. There are some sin that you can commit without any problem. The point we are making is that if you are going to mount an effective defense... If you are going to be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy, if you are going to be able to say, yes, I am able to stand against the opposition that the enemy is throwing at me, your life must be, there must be an evidence of a transformed life. That's why Jesus Christ said that the prince of this world came and found nothing in me. Because what he was saying and the way he was living, they were in agreement. There was no gap between the two of them. Number four, how do you give a compelling defense of your faith. You give a compelling defense of your faith by having a good knowledge of what you believe. 
What do you believe? Do you know the God that you believe? Do you know the instruction that he has given? Do you know the things that he asks you to do and the things that he asks you not to do? Do you know his love letter that he has written to you, which is the word of God? Do you know what he believes? The Bible tells us in the book of Daniel chapter 11. If you read verse number 32 there, the Bible tells us something. He said, be people who know their God. He said, they shall be strong and they shall do great exploits. In other words, the people who know their God, the people who know that yes, the God that they serve is a faithful God. The God that they serve is a God that will never disappoint. The God that they serve will never leave them hanging. Those are the people who will do a great exploit. It was this particular knowledge of the God that the people have, that, they, that, that, they, that they, the knowledge of the Almighty God, that is what the three Hebrew children had. The Bible says that when Nebuchadnezzar said, this is a golden image that I want everybody to bow down to. These three Hebrew children knew the God they were serving. They knew what they believed. And they said, no way, we are not buying down here. He said that if you, even if God will, he said, because we know God will deliver us. But if God does not deliver us, we are still not going to do it. Because they know what they believe. The question is, do we, who are living today, do we know what we believe? Do you know the God that we are serving? Because you can never stand against the wiles of the enemy. We can never defend against all the onslaught of hell if we do not know what we believe. And then finally, do we know if you are going to mount a good defense, you need to know the reason why you believe. Thank you very much for listening to our program today. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. for our Sunday worship service at 2711 Murfreesboro Road in Antioch, Tennessee. We also host Bible study and prayer meetings every Friday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at www.lifelonganointing.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Join us next time for another edition of Fresh Encounter. On behalf of Lifelong Anointing Church, we thank you for listening.